Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Welcome to the Church of Omaha. Why don't we stand together in Jesus' name? And let's just love the Lord for a moment. Can we do that? Let's just lift up our hands and our voices. Come on, lift up a, a praise unto the Lord. Lift up your faith unto God right now. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you and praise you. We're so glad together to get today in your presence, Lord. What an honor and privilege it is to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. Hallelujah. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. We pray it and worship you today, Lord. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4 is where I'm going to direct your attention. I'll read and then we'll get right into the word. Welcome all of you who are here in person, all of you joining us online. Thank you for tuning in. Those of you who are homesick, we pray for you. And uh, in Jesus' name, ask the Lord to touch you. Sister Nancy, if you could also remember Sister Laurel, I just remembered she's not here today because she's sick. So when we pray at the beginning of our worship service, we will call these names out. 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading at verse number 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding, also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that <clears throat> judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Amen. And let's pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, this is your church. God, it is not mine, it is not ours. You alone are the head of the church. You alone in your word can save, deliver, and heal. You know every need and struggle and issue. You know every person. You know everything. God, your word is anointed and appointed for this moment, so on the authority of your word, I bind every spirit of hindrance, and I loose your anointing to fill this place to bring understanding and clarity to your word, for without you we're nothing. Let there be a demonstration of your spirit and power. Confirm your word with signs following. Let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. You may be seated. do want to bring a quick praise report. Um, Thank you all for praying for my mother-in-law. She has made it safely home to Maine. She, they flew home yesterday. My wife went with her. That's why she's not here today. She'll be home tomorrow, Lord willing, and the weather doesn't prohibit her from making it back. But my mother-in-law, one of the things that we prayed, and I believe Sister Nancy even directly said, either from the pulpit or in a text or something, was that she would see better than she was before, and that has been happening. She's actually seeing better than what she had before all this. So praise the Lord for that. In fact, she opened up her computer, which she has not been able to see for a long time. And she goes, oh, I can see it. And so praise the Lord. And my, we love you. We're praying for you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, my title today, by the way, is The Truth About Fiery Trials. Now, I know this is that message that everyone wants to hear, and you're ready to run the aisles with me and jump and shout because, man, when we talk about fiery trials and suffering, it's like, yeah, can't wait. I'm, I'm going to be on the front row on the edge of my seat. Amen. Well, here we go. You see, here's the thing. I know some would rather jump over such passages as I've read today. I also know that there are some heretics that have preached sermons wrote books and recorded videos and shared their lies on podcasts in an attempt to convince the church that you won't suffer. But I'm an expositor of God's holy scripture and I will not skip over hard passages or attempt to shuffle them under the rug or lie to you about the truth contained in God's holy word. What saith the scripture has become my life's motto. I have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty and refused to walk in craftiness. I will not handle God's word deceitfully. I will hold myself accountable to God and to you to preach His truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. So with that bold proclamation, let me share with you another passage of Scripture about suffering and what it further illustrates regarding persecution. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Yea, and some that will live... Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. And most, those in the first century only... It doesn't say that, does it? Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Boy, I wish that verse wasn't in there. But it is. Paul and Barnabas preached all over the world. And in Acts 40, 14, 22, they exhorted the new disciples in Christ and told them to continue in their faith because that we must go through much tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God. Peter knows that Jesus' prophecy regarding the temple being destroyed will happen soon. He writes the first epistle and second epistle somewhere around 64, 65, 66 B.C. or A.D., excuse me. And so he's writing somewhere just a few years before 70 A.D., which is the, the, the temple. We will often apply this verse to our lives personally, and we should, we can. That's what Scripture is supposed to do with Scripture to some extent, apply it from a personal level, but we also need to understand its original audience. And in, in a very real way, this was Peter warning about the soon coming of the fiery destruction of Rome. You see, at this same time that he's writing this epistle, Nero is burning Rome, blaming the Christians and rounding them up and persecuting them. In fact, the etymology of fiery trial, if you look at that phrase in the Greek, is literally defined as to set something on fire. So it, it's not metaphorical that I went through a hard time or I, I struggled with something. 
This literally means to be set on fire. And we do often metaphorically refer to it or describe it as a hardship in life. And I don't think we're necessarily wrong to do so. But the literal meaning is referring to what Nero was doing to the Christians. Now, I don't mean to gross anybody out or to make anyone get sick. But he had such a deep hatred for born-again believers that he would take them and wrap them in sacks that were smeared with wax and pitch and other combustible material, put a stake under their chin, and when it became dark, would light it on fire and burn them alive so that they could light up the pathways for people to walk on. I don't share this to, to make anyone go, oh, that's gross, or that's sick, or oh, but rather to explain the literal sense of what a fiery trial was here. Now, I want to reread the verse now that you know that. <clears throat> verse number... 12, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. Takes on a whole new meaning now, doesn't it? Now again, I believe we can apply it to a certain extent metaphorically to what we go through. But we need to be careful not to only do that, but to realize the extent of what it really means in Scripture. I do also believe we can implicitly look ahead to the time of the tribulation in which persecution will be like that again. And we can also look to just modern day right now of all of the massive amounts of persecution going on in the world. And I think sometimes because it's not happening to us and it's not happening largely in Western civilization that we don't think it exists, but it does. And it does on a massive level. We have some of our very own missionaries that cannot tell you what nation they are in. We just have to simply say they are in an access-challenged nation because if they are found out, them and their families could be killed. And in these places, they don't have good relations with the United States State Department. And so they're not going to work with to send these people home. They're going to kill them and who cares what happens. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and realizing also that Peter will soon be martyred. Nero, it's assumed that Nero would have martyred Peter as well. And he dies around this same time as well as soon as he finishes writing it. And we know that from the second epistle because he says, I'm ready to be offered up as our Lord told me I would. And so Peter here is also looking at the, 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 the near end of his life and the trials that he has both faced, the beatings and so forth, and what's about to come. Jesus has explained to him, you're going to be carried off. And we know from history, Peter was crucified and he said, do it upside down. I don't want to be crucified like our Lord. And so he was crucified there. And so I come to you with that same sort of passion today of what Peter had to preach to you the truth about fiery trials and help you to understand how you can faithfully endure to the end. Now again, I know this is one of the messages where we're probably not going to get up and run the aisles. We'll do that in the second service, the, the worship service. In fact, the first song we're singing, you know, Brooklyn asked me to, to help today sing it, and it's, it's that one that I do when I shout, and so, you know, I'm going to be shouting and, and dancing and praising the Lord. Amen. But, but I, I realize right now, we're like, whoa, this is, wow, thank you for making it sober. It's Christmas time, Bishop. Don't you know what time of year it is? Right, yeah. Yeah. 
By the way, that song, Brother Danny, Joy to the World, the Lord has come, is actually about the second coming. I know you know that. Isaac Watts wrote it for that matter. But anyway, here we go. Point number one, ready? Expect suffering. Merry Christmas. Expect suffering. Right. Watch this. <laughs> Think it not strange, he says, concerning the fiery trial. Now, now, now let me say this. That we expect suffering does not mean we also don't expect God's blessing. I believe there's a certain degree of blessing in suffering. Peter and John counted themselves worthy to be persecuted for the name of the Lord. It also does not mean that we lack faith if we expect suffering. It also doesn't mean that we've just given up on the fact that God's going to bless us. You see, sometimes God does decide and choose to deliver from a fiery furnace, from a fiery trial. He did that with the three Hebrew boys. So let's take a look at their account just a little bit deeper and, and see something about faith that helps us to understand more about the truth of fiery trials. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. We don't need a second time. You don't have to start the music up again. We're still not going to bow. We don't have to convene and go have a, a meeting about it and come back with an answer. We already have our answer. And watch what they say in verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand. Notice what they said here. If it be so. In other words, the God we serve has the ability to do so. And if he chooses to do it, praise God He's powerful. But either way, whether we die in the fire or we're delivered out of the fire, we are delivered out of your hand, O king. You see the faith there. But then watch what they say. But if not, in other words, if it doesn't turn out the way we want to, if what I've prayed for doesn't happen the way I hope it does. You see, we all do that. We pray, God, I need this. And A, you could do it this way. B, you could do it that way. Or C, you could do it this way. And I'm, I'm fine with whichever one. And God goes, D, none of the above. You're like, oh, I didn't give you a D, Lord. <laughs> right? But watch what they say. But if not, be it known unto you, king, we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you've set up. With the threat of a fiery furnace, we will stand in that until our bodies are consumed by the flame and we will not bow to your idols. You see, they had two types of faith. They had a faith that God could deliver them from the fiery furnace if he wanted to, but they also had a faith that said, I'm not bowing regardless of what God does. If all you have is a faith that God will deliver me, you're going to be hurt when it doesn't happen that way. I don't know if anybody knows this or not, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've learned two very valuable lessons in life. Um, and number one, there's a God. Number two, I'm not him. And all of you could say the same. In other words, God does what he wants where he wants, when he wants, why he wants, to whom he wants, because he's God alone. And far be it from me to question his sovereignty. And so if all I have is a God's going to deliver me faith, and he doesn't, then my faith 
is hurt and it's weak. But if I have a I will not bow kind of faith, then either way, if he delivers me, praise God, he's God. If he doesn't, praise God, he's God. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that's what I mean by expecting suffering. It doesn't mean that we just resign ourselves to, well, I'm never going to be blessed. No. Uh, I, I've used this kind of before, and I know it's kind of a, maybe an overused analogy, but it, it works. And so uh, I'm an ordained minister of the United Pentecostal Church, you know, UPC, right? Well, I think some people think that this means you have to live like an underprivileged child. That's not what UPC means. And that's not what expecting suffering means. It doesn't mean you have to walk away and say, oh, it's going to happen. I'm not going to be blessed. No. Because we also have those verses that tell us that we, we do pray for things. We bring our requests to the Lord, that we, we get what we ask for, and so on and so forth. So balancing the two together is doing this. God, I'm bringing them to you as your, as your word says, but I'm also trusting in your sovereignty. You know what's best. Let me kind of explain it to you this way. You see, in God's eyes, we're children. It doesn't matter if you live for God 80 years, you're a child of the Lord. That doesn't mean child in the sense of immature. It just means child in the sense that he's the parent. He's in charge. I remember one time, um, Brooklyn, you know, and, and, and Braxton were getting ready. We were going on a, a little vacation. And I'm doing all the making sure the oil is changed, air pressure is good in the tires, you know, um, you know, gas is full for the first leg of the trip and all of this. And, you know, uh, this was the time of MapQuest, too. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, you know, you had to print, like, you know, and, and have paper, you know. You didn't have this little, you know, turn left, you know. Anyway, <clears throat> so I'm getting the MapQuest printed and, you know, reading it and hoping that I don't get lost in Chicago, you know, and whatever. And you know what my kids were worried about? What toys they were going to bring. Not one time, Pastor Lucas, did Braxton say, Dad, did you check the oil? Not one time did Brooklyn say, Dad, uh, are, the, are the tires in, in good shape? Can we make it? They just trusted that Dad would get them there. And if there was a flat tire, Dad knew how to fix it. Right? Maybe if we kind of adopted that mindset. Let me give you another example. There was this little girl on a, on a flight one time. And a businessman was sitting next to her, and, and she's coloring, and, and uh, so he kind of feels like he should take it on himself. He's a dad himself to make sure she's okay if, in case anything happens, and so he kind of goes into dad mode. Well, all of a sudden, the pilot comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, I do apologize. We're about to hit some turbulence. We can't get around it or out of it, so uh, please stay seated. Uh, flight attendants, would you also please be seated? Uh, everybody make sure your seatbelt's on, blah, 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 you know, all this. Well, they hit turbulence, and it was massive, and and, and the, the guy was even grabbing the seats like, whoo, you know, never been like this kind of turbulence. And he looks over and the little girl's just, <laughs> whoo, she's coloring and playing. And, and it's just, just going with the flow. And he's like, this is, so they come out of it and he says, honey, he says, I'm proud of you. How, how did you do that? And she goes, my daddy's the pilot and he's taking me home. That's the concept of what I'm talking about. We trust God. And if we go through turbulence, he, he's in charge. He's the pilot. He knows what he's doing. I'm just going to sit in my first class seat and enjoy the ride. You see, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had that kind of faith. I will not bow. We see it in Hebrews 11 as well. Beginning at verse 32. What shall I say more? 
For time shall fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David, also Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in, in fight, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead to life again. And there's a colon. That all sounds good. That's all like, woohoo! bring it on. Right? We're undefeated. Our team's going to the championship, unless you're FSU. Amen. Right? But watch this. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. If I get to choose which group I'm a part of, <laughs> I'm choosing the first group. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, tempted, slain with sword, wandered about sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy, wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Watch this. And these all, both groups, he brings them back together. The victorious, the not so victorious. Boom. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. I don't have time to go into all the detail of what that is implying, except that it's in some sense the law. God's not going to save by the law. They were looking for the church. It wasn't in their time to see it. But regardless, the point is their faith compelled them to die in faith whether they had good experiences or bad ones. And they did it without the Holy Spirit. The promise they were seeking was the promised Holy Spirit. Amen. By the way, that's why Hebrews also says that we can't neglect so great a salvation. Because if they did it without the Holy Ghost, how much more should we do it with the Holy Ghost? If they can persevere without it, how much more should we persevere with it? If David can say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. How much more should we be able to say it with the Holy Spirit? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need to learn from such heroes of faith and trust God no matter what. If God delivers us from it, takes us through it, or allows the fiery trial to consume us, He's God. And we need to trust Him wholeheartedly. If you expect suffering and it happens, you're not surprised. If you expect suffering and it doesn't happen, you're prepared. Either way, you win, and either way, expecting suffering does not diminish your faith in God. It strengthens your faith in Him. Well, point number two, you ready for this? Here we go. Downshifting. Rejoice in suffering. <laughs> I almost laugh. Reading such verses, watch verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you're partakers in Christ's sufferings. I mean, let me ask you this. If anybody right now got a little blip on your phone, you've got your bank account or something attached to some sort of app, and, and, and Brother Matt, let's just say all of a sudden, you know, you know buzz, and you, you looked at your phone and said, uh, congratulations, you now have $2 billion in your account. And you'd be like, <laughs> That's, I could rejoice on that. Right? I mean, if enough money came in today to pay the church off, and Brother Sal told me that, Brother Sal, can you imagine if you're like, come here, come here, come here, come here. The church is paid in full. I'm, I can rejoice in that. But suffering? Yeah, I'm supposed to rejoice in that. 
But not only that, watch this, that when his glory shall be revealed, revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Because he's pointing to something. Suffering is temporal. Eternity is forever. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God is resting upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. James also told us that, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience there actually means endurance. But let patience, let endurance have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire. That means to be complete, wanting nothing. You see, the reason you rejoice in suffering is you're already complete in God. I'm complete in His Word. The reason I can rejoice in, in that is that that trial of my faith, even if it is a fiery trial, is producing endurance. Hmm. Again, suffering has an expiration date, but eternity is forever. Listen to what Timothy, or rather Paul wrote in, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. I like that. I'm bound, but it's not. I read that one day. And, and I, I was wondering how I could pray for somebody because they wanted prayer because they were sick, but yet I was sick. And I'm like, how could I do that? And God said, the word of God's not bound. You can still pray for them. It dawned on me. Here, here he was. I'm bound, but I can still preach. And he preached to the entire uh, Roman imperial guard. Well, we know that from Philippians, right? Verse 10, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him... We shall also live with him. That's why you've heard me say things like, I'm dead already. If, if they want to come and take my life, I've already died to Christ. You're too late. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. But watch this. If we believe not, yet he abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. God is so faithful, he cannot deny his own faithfulness. Amen. Endurance through suffering. Helps you to focus on eternal glory with Christ Jesus. If you have experienced the new birth, you will live forever with God. If you suffer with Christ, you will reign with Him. Again, verses 11 and 12 here are pointing to the truth that fiery trials are temporal, but eternity with God is forever. And even if we don't believe or are unfaithful to Him, God will never be unfaithful. Ultimately, what Paul and James and Peter are teaching is that you can rejoice in suffering because it doesn't last forever. At the risk of sounding arrogant or as if I have a martyr complex and want to die, I am encouraged by the martyrs that I've read about who have said such things as, you can't kill a dead man. Referring to the fact that since they're already dead in Christ and any punishment, however cruel and painful, would only serve to put them in paradise with God. One such person lived in about 250 A.D. His name was Probius. And he was whipped until the blood flowed. And then he was laden with chains and thrown into prison. A few days later, they brought him out and commanded him to sacrifice to heathen gods. He knew that he would be tortured and killed if he refused, but still 
Here's what he said courageously. I come better prepared than before, for what I have suffered has only strengthened me in my resolution. Employ your whole power upon me, and you shall find that neither you, nor the emperor, nor the gods you serve, nor even the devil who is your father shall compel me to worship idols. Well, I'm going to tell you, with that bold declaration, he, of course, was sent back to prison, tortured, and eventually killed with a sword. But what bravery, what courage in God to rejoice in the midst of that. I will not deny my faith in God. Are you nuts? Another such brave martyr was John Denley, who in England in 1555 was sentenced to die by burning at the stake for his belief in Jesus Christ and his refusal to accept the Church of England and her heretical teachings. As the flames begin to rise... Denley began to sing and worship, and one of his persecutors, enraged at his defiance, picked up a a piece of wood and threw it, and hitting Denley in the face, Denley just simply replied, truly, you have spoiled a good old song, and went back to singing until he died. That, I hate to say arrogance, but that courage, that sense of, I'm dead already, If these people can do that and the people in the Bible can do that, then certainly if we're faced with similar, hopefully we can do the same as well. Listen, as as the pastor and shepherd, under shepherd of this church, I pray that God never has to put any of us through that. But I also pray that if we do, we have the same kind of courage to stand up and say, you know what? I'm not bowing. I'm not stopping. I'm serving God faithfully. You see, these and other martyrs could express courage and bravery through pain pain and suffering because they knew that their suffering was temporary, but awaiting them on the other side of death was eternity with Jesus Christ. So that's why then the, the third point is, Paul said, or excuse me, Peter wrote that we should glorify God in suffering, verses 15 and 16. You know, don't suffer as a murderer, etc., verse 15, but yet suffer as a Christian, verse 16, and in so doing and not being ashamed, you glorify God. Sometimes suffering does occur because we bring it upon ourselves. And in such cases, if that is, is the way it happens, then we need to do what David did in Psalm 51 and repent. In doing this, we throw ourselves at the mercy of God. And at the very least, regardless of what the punishment may or may not be, we will not have a guilty conscience because we have poured ourselves out to the Lord. But if we suffer as a Christian, there's no need for shame. But use our suffering rather to glorify God. Another way of looking at let him not be ashamed is to understand it means to not be ashamed of God. In Revelation 3.8, despite the persecution of the church of Philadelphia, they kept God's word and did not deny his name. That's why he gave them an open door. The church of Smyrna was severely persecuted in Revelation 2. But in verse 10, God encouraged them. He said, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. So in other words, let him not be ashamed is Peter reminding the saints not to recant their faith in the face of persecution. Somewhere on the Asian continent and somewhere in the 1970s, communist soldiers discovered an illegal Bible study group 
They broke in, threw the Bible on the floor, spat on it, and told everyone that they must kneel down, spit on the Bible, and then they could leave without any punishment. They would be able to live. They first pointed their weapons at the pastor who reluctantly knelt down, spat on the Bible, then prayed and asked God to forgive him, and they allowed him, and he got up and he walked out. They then looked at a woman and forced her, and she too, although she spat just a little, with tears through her eyes, she was allowed to leave. Then, quietly, without being forced or ordered, a young girl, about 16 or 17, stepped forward, knelt down, and overwhelmed by God's word and her love for it, picked up the Bible, wiped the spit off, held it to her heart and said, Lord, what have they done to your word? Please forgive them. And with that, the shot rang out and she fell dead as she was killed point blank. The pastor, the woman, and any others who sped on the Bible that day showed themselves to be ashamed of God. And I know that sounds harsh and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but rather I'm pointing out that here in the heart of this teenage girl, was I will not be ashamed. I'm willing to die for my faith. And in that case, she glorified God through her suffering unto death. And this is why Peter then goes into verses 17 through 19 about being committed to God. Ending with verse 19 where he says, uh, to commit the keeping of your souls to him and well-being as unto a faithful creator. The context here of verses 17 through 19 is that since suffering is inevitable, it serves to separate the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats, the committed from the casual. Such times of persecution reveals those who trust in God, which is why he says judgment begins at the house of God. Jesus never one time falsely advertised the high cost of discipleship. There was no fine print. There was no sign on the dotted line, and then all of a sudden all these uh, extra fees you got to pay. Well, I didn't know I had to pay that too. No, none of that was there. It was just clear expectation. In fact, this is what he said in Luke 9, 23. He says, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. He told him, he said, uh, you must lose your life for my sake and for the kingdom, if you want to find it. He even told him, he said, foxes have holes and, and birds have nests, but I ain't got nowhere to lay my head. So, oh, by the way, come follow me. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus over and again explained his own death and how that they too would suffer. They would be hated. They would be persecuted. They would be martyrs. You know, a couple weeks ago, we sang the song, If you never do anything else, you've already done enough. And while we were singing it, I began to think, Lord, do I really mean that? Can I really sing this and worship right now and say, I mean this, that if I never get one more blessing, miracle, whatever answered prayer, that I can still serve you faithfully. And instantly I thought of Enoch. 
The Bible says at, 60, at age 65, when his son Methuselah was born, he began to serve the Lord. And we know at 365, so 300 years later, the Lord took him. And he was not for God took him, the Bible says. He, he, had a, he had a testimony that he pleased God. But you won't find one time in Scripture where an angel visits Enoch. You won't find one time where the voice of the Lord thundered from heaven and said, Enoch, I have called you to be my son. Do thus and so. He didn't build an ark. He didn't have to do any other. There was no any of that recorded anywhere in Scripture. I'm not saying it didn't happen. If it did, for whatever reason, it's not there. And I think the reason it's not there is to show us because he's in the hall of faith. He's the second inductee after Abel. And I believe he's there to show us that without faith, it is impossible to please God for all who... Uh, come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that diligently seek him. It doesn't say get all the blessings you want. The rewarding of diligently seeking him is one day to hear him say, well done. And if I never get another miracle down here, and if I never get another blessing down here, God's already done enough in that he became flesh and died for me and forgave my sin and will one day welcome me into his eternal presence. That's what life is all about. That's why this world is not my home. That's why I don't care what happens on this planet. It's why I'm not worried about the elections. It's why these things don't trouble me. It's because I'm looking up and lifting up my head because my redemption draws nigh. I don't need the accolades of this world. I don't need what this world has to offer. I've got eternity awaiting for me. By the way, I also wish verse 18 wasn't in the Bible. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? I wish it didn't say scarcely. I also wish Matthew twenty two fourteen wasn't in the Bible. It says many are called, but few are chosen. In fact, I'll just be a little vulnerable with you. While I was studying this, I kind of got a little upset. And, and as if I had a right to tell God how he should have written his word. I'm like, God, why didn't you just leave those out? Brother Mario, I was, I was praying in my study. I'm like, God, seriously? Scarcely? I mean, I want revival. I want souls. I want this house filled. You want your house filled. What? Scarcely? Many of your coffee are... Seriously, God, speak to me. I don't understand this. And I, I was praying. And Pastor Lucas, God began to... I'm grateful that God hears our prayer, even when it's not really prayer. I'm glad he hears us when we're still complaining. and I'm glad he lets us ask him questions. You know, I'm thankful that God's real in that I can also be real with him. And let me just pause here and tell somebody, God already knows whatever it is you're trying to put a facade over. Just, just peel back the Band-Aid and say, God, I feel like blah. God already knows. And his word has the answer and hope. But that's not necessarily the message, but it's, that's, you know, just free little tidbit there for you. But as I'm, as I'm doing this and I'm praying, the Lord then led me to Revelation 17, 14, where it says that the saints return with him and they're called, chosen, and faithful. And I said, well, wait a minute. Called, chosen, and faithful. Many are called, few are chosen. But wait a minute. Okay, if I'm called, chosen, and faithful, and there are some that are many are called but not chosen... And so I begin to dig, and, and here's what it means. Called is exactly what it sounds like, an invitation to obey the gospel. 
And the last time I checked, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, the call goes out to everyone. God does not say, okay, I'm not going to call this ethnicity over here. No, the call is for everyone. On every continent, in every century, everywhere. Chosen means the elect. It's the Greek word eklektos. It's those who obey the gospel and become God's elect by the new birth process. Repent, baptize in his name, fill with his spirit. And faithful literally means the enduring servants of the Lord. In other words, I can't be faithful unless I answer the call and obey the call which is to be chosen. And by doing so, I then can become faithful to where I hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so today the call goes out. Who will hear it? If you're not yet born again, who will today say, I'm not leaving this property until I am baptized in his name, filled with his spirit? If it's been a while since you've spoken tongues and really had a good gully washing moment with God, I'm not leaving today till I'm filled to the brim and beyond. I want to be called chosen and faithful. I don't want to be some of the scarcely that aren't saved. Mark 16, 16. And like Elder Johnny James used to say, in this verse, there's a saved bee and a damned bee. Which bee are you going to be? I want to be a saved bee. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Once you answer the universal call of God and obey the gospel, you will be numbered with his elect. Hmm. I want to be numbered. How about you? I want God to number me in that, in that number. Michael Green writes of an elderly man in communist-controlled Budapest who remarked when he was asked about the effects of persecution and discrimination on the lives of Christians, and he said, I quote, It is like the deep, fast-flowing Danube River. The banks of the river were artificially narrowed throughout the city of Budapest, and as a result, the river's fast waters dug deeper and deeper into the river bottom. Believers under restrictions and persecution have limited freedom and few political options, but their narrowed lives have found great depth by going deeper in Christ. One of the Roman emperors sent messengers to lure Eusebius into heresy by fair words and glowing promises. <laughs> I love Eusebius' answer. He replies, Alas, sirs, these speeches are fit to catch children, but we who are taught and nourished by the sacred scriptures are ready to suffer a thousand deaths rather than permit one tittle of the scriptures to be altered. The emperor then threatened to take by force all of his goods, to torture and banish him and even kill him 
And so Eusebius courageously answered, He needs not fear confiscation who has nothing to lose, nor banishment to whom heaven is his country, nor torments when his body can be destroyed at one blow, nor death, which is the only way to set him at liberty from sin and sorrows. I love the brazen boldness of such people who in the face of suffering, Ah, I'm going to stand. Stand for God. I don't remember his name, and I did try to find the, the name, but I've got books that I have got all of these from. And if you want to see them, I'll show them to you. But this one particular man was told that if he did not recant, they would drown him. They tied a heavy block or something to his feet and they had gone out to sea and he didn't say a word he just reached down picked up the block and jumped on in you know <laughs> I have nothing to say I am not going to recant you know again folks I, I hope none of this ever happens to us I really do but if it does I hope we're ready to say, I'm going to endure to the end. One such martyr was Michael Servetus. Many of you may not know this, but Michael Servetus was a oneness believer. He challenged the likes of John Calvin and others, telling them that, in fact, he and his friend Erasmus, who wrote the first Greek New Testament, Erasmus said, Anyone who knows Greek can read it and see that there's only one God, and Jesus is that one God. And Michael Servetus was in agreement with him, and they challenged. But what a lot of people don't know is Michael Servetus also discovered circulary pulmonation. He was a doctor. And he wrote about that, too. Well, John Calvin finally caught up to him and burned him at the stake, burned his books with him, but they lived on. And his testimony lived on, and his faith lived on to encourage others. The Bible tells us that we can continue steadfastly. In Colossians 1, 23, uh, it says, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Amen. I want to get planted, grounded, and settled to where I'm not moving away from the gospel. Money can't move me. Fame can't move me. Pain can't move me. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many want to remain faithful to the end? Let me tell you why we, why we should all want to do that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I show you, I explain to you a mystery. We shall not all sleep as others, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible shall put on incorruption. I can't wait for that day. This mortal shall put on 
immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. You want to talk about boldness like the, like the martyrs I've read today? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of sin is death, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And here's what's so amazing about grace. Is that through it, God enables disciples to endure suffering. The question is, are you willing to persevere faithfully? Hallelujah. I want us to stand together. My deepest hope is that such a message is understood and not misunderstood. I don't feel to prophesy that, you know, that we got persecution coming, get ready. But I do feel to tell you this, that when that day comes, because suffering is inevitable, and whether it's a personal thing you go through, whether it's because of your faith, if at any level you suffer as a Christian, like First Peter said, I pray that you have the same tenacity to go through it and understand that regardless of the suffering, God is going to see you through. God is going to take care of you. And that your trust in Him will not falter. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to know your word, to love your word, to experience your word. I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, we would be able to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, that we would never walk away from or turn around, Lord, from your holy word, but that we would be rooted and grounded, firmly uh, placed in and on your word and be able to endure whatever may come our way. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and we give you all the glory. Amen and amen. God bless you. Let's come back here after the break and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah.